Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael McNutt, Weedy's Director of Events and Education. This week, I have a fantastic conversation about provider and payer approaches to addressing health disparities. My guests, Michael Curry, Chief Health Equity Officer with United Health Group. And from the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Adam Milam, Medical Director, Office of Health Equity Inclusion, A.J. Jayakumar, Director, Strategy and Analytics Diversity Science, and Marquita Davis, Enterprise Director with the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion. All right, welcome. Uh, so whether, and I love the fact that both slides from Mike and from, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Milam had this kind of initial graphic of how everything is interconnected. Mike's was a puzzle piece. Uh, the Mayo's was kind of this circle that was interconnected with other circles. Now, looking at those two pieces, and we'll start with Mike, let's talk about uh, data and how data affects every single one of those puzzle pieces in unique ways. So talk about the importance. I mean, we're here at Weedy, and I know we've had a lot of different sessions about data this week. So how does data play and the benefits and challenges of having that data work within those puzzle pieces? We'll ask Mike first. And then for the Mayo Group, how does data play with that kind of helix that you had interconnecting all those circles? Mike? Yeah, Michael, as I mentioned in the intro, you can't manage what you don't measure. So it's critically important to do very intentional health disparities analytics. So again, I call it the big four. You understand what exists and that what exists is really around health measures or metrics um, that you're interested in. The population or populations that are impacted, so by race, by age, by gender, um, by geographic location, because you want to understand where they exist. Is it in a whole state? Is it in a region? Is it a county? Is it a zip code? And then you want to appreciate order of magnitude, and that's doing some comparison across other health measures of interest, because you don't want to boil the ocean. There are There's no such thing as infinite resources. So you need to prioritize the work that you're going to do. So doing very intentional health disparities analytics, collecting uh, appropriate information. And when I say appropriate, I'm talking about what's appropriate for the healthcare system uh, and those that are accessing healthcare. And once it's collected, it needs to be aggregated and analyzed in a way that a report comes Uh, back to you or forward to uh, anyone evaluating the information so that you can go through that process that I talked about of being able to identify and prioritize where disparities exist. That information becomes critical across all of those puzzle domains that I mentioned. That health disparities analytics kind of sits at the hub of all of that. And then you leverage that information to do work in each of those other puzzle pieces areas so that it's smart, effective, or at least stands the greatest opportunity to be effective and administratively efficient. Excellent. The Mayo team. Yes, I'd be happy to chat to chime in and I kind of second everything that you've mentioned, Michael. Um, Data tells a story. And so at Mayo Clinic, it's it's very patient centered. And so the data collection piece is important and we're heavily regulated like all other healthcare organizations are. So there's people that are asking us for data all the time, but the other important piece is from a health equity perspective, there's data that people aren't 
necessarily asking for and you have to be proactive to go out and seek it. Um, But in order to do that, you have to kind of tap into the audience, tap into the people who you are caring for to understand what to actually care about what their stories are and what their plight is in the healthcare system to actually want to change that. So it's that really that root work that you have to start with at the very bottom to say, hey, I'm hearing our patients say these things. I'm hearing patients saying that they don't trust us. Why is that? That that curiosity and that wanting to know why our patients aren't trusting us is what is driving the data collection and the proactive um, approach to addressing health equity at Mayo Clinic. And so, you know, we have, you know, CMS requirements that are um, focusing now on health equity that, you know, we were well prepared for because Mayo Clinic has always had this lens of making sure we're capturing the right data sets to, again, be able to tell that story so we can reach those patient populations. There is the Joint Commission focus now on, um, on health equity where, you know, collecting SDOH data is one of those requirements. Um, and so just making sure that we have the infrastructure to do that data collection is super important because the intention is right, but the funding and the resources and just the proactive drive to say, hey, we need to create an infrastructure that's a standard across our organization to collect this data um, and someone to manage that um, is, is the key to, the, to addressing health disparities. Um, we have a number of dashboards and our goal is not to kind of make health equity a standalone thing, a standalone thing. We don't want people to say, oh, that the OHI office is what we call ourselves can, can work on that. No, we truly want to embed an equity lens into every service line here at Mayo Clinic because that's, that's the right thing to do. And so we we have again a similar approach to what to what Michael shared, but really it's the stories that our patients are telling us as we see them every day that's driving us to be more proactive in how we build out our services to um, to meet their needs. Hey, Michael, if I could, Marquita just made me think about something, and that is one because you asked about challenges, and ideally. You have age information, you have race information, you have gender information, you have geography information, you have preferred language information, um, and maybe there are a couple of others, but those are the big five that you really want to have. And a challenge that I've seen over the years is you might be missing some of that data. Maybe you only have two of the five or three of the five. And this is not the time where you allow per- the, the perfect to be the enemy of pretty good. Use the data that you have to do whatever the health disparities analytics that you can do based on those, the, the demographic data that you do have and start there. So that's a challenge that you can overcome by just starting with what you have. And as Marquita mentioned, here's the way I say it. I love what you said, Marquita, about how doing this health equity work is not standalone. It's really embedded in everything that goes on in the healthcare system. And the way Mike Curry says it is we're doing our best health equity work or health equity is doing what it's supposed to do when it just becomes how we do what we do in healthcare system as a whole. 
You don't necessarily have to think about it. There is some intentionality associated with it. So you need to monitor. But the best of our work is when this is just embedded in how we all do what we do to serve individuals, care for individuals and provide equitable care and services. Excellent. Perfect. AJ, I know you wanted to say something. So I'll just reiterate what my fellow panelists have mentioned. I think data is critical. We need to know what opportunities are. But when you talk about integration, the key aspect from a technical piece that comes to mind is data integration from a data governance. What are the data standards? Even those uh, demographic data that we mentioned about race and ethnicity, even within Mayo from different groups have different definitions. So I think those are key aspects. And I completely agree with Dr. Corey in terms of we shouldn't Wait for the perfect data. We have enough data to do not just the analysis, but also the ability to implement newer initiatives. One of the one of the other key aspects from a diversity science standpoint, from a research standpoint, we get to collaborate closely with Dr. Milam and Marquita is we should shy, we should move away from we know health disparities exist. We don't need more research to show that health disparities exist. I think where we have the opportunity today is to ch- test out interventions and do research on interventions and evidence-based models that works for marginalized groups and how can we scale it, not just within our institution, but across our nation. So again, with the combination of analytics, intention, and common sense, I think there's a lot of progress we can make. Excellent. Thank you. Now, Marquita, you mentioned understanding the patient's story. Um, Mike, you said something to that effect as well. In order to do that, you have to know the patient. In order to do that, you have to get deeper into the community. So let's talk about the importance of, you know, I mean, Mayo is, is a gigantic organization, as is United Health Group. Talk about the importance of actually connecting with community-based organizations, getting in the community, and as we say, boots on the ground. You can't do it from 30,000 feet. Um, you know, a lot of what we can do is from 30,000 feet in other silos, but with health equity, you really have to be, you know, on the ground talking and understanding, like Marquita said, those stories about the patients. So let's go with the, the Mayo Group first, understanding the importance of boots on the ground and being able to talk with the community and get that important data from the community. And then we'll go with Mike and, and UHG. Thank you. That's that's really an important concept. And so I'll kind of start with um, what Mayo Clinic did to really spur the action of its frontline staff to be more proactive. Um, Mayo Clinic committed $100 million to eradicate racism um, within and its walls and outside in the, its surrounding communities. And so this commit, this huge commitment um, is not just um, available to higher level senior executive level leadership. It is available to all staff. So staff can, where they're at, um, address health disparities and address the concerns that they see that are impacting, um, you know, disparities within Mayo Clinic. And so this financial commitment has motivated staff to, to finally say, Okay, now I can move on my idea. I can move on the, I have this patient complaining to me every day about the, the, the doorway not being wide enough, or we don't have enough interpreters. I now have a barrier removed, which is that financial barrier to address some of the disparities that I see in the day-to-day fashion. Um, so that's just one method that Mayo Clinic has used. The others are, we've built, um, 
a group of 70 liaisons across our Mayo Clinic enterprise, which is comprised of practice, um, leadership, staff, um, not just practice, other ancillary services to help us um, improve health equity. And so the reason it, it takes a village, you know, not to be cliche, but it does take a village because as you think about kind of our matrix that we shared in the slide earlier, um, it's not us going and say, hey, you go improve health equity in your department. It's us collaborating together within Mayo Clinic with our community engagement department who is offering, you know, services out to the community where we have outreach efforts and we're volunteering out in the community because that's something else that we track. We promote our staff to go out and provide some of these community resources um, to the community. Um, I just give a really quick example because of that, um, that commitment against racism, I was able to use those funds to go out and do some community um, focus groups to learn more about what their barriers were to uh, getting cancer screening completed. And so it's just those types of examples where um, if you, if you want to value the voice of your patient, you got to value the voice of the people who they're talking to every day. And so that's what Mayo Clinic really has done is empowered our frontline staff and those individuals who are out, who are seeing patients every day, who are out in the community, especially for some of our community-based hospitals. Um, you know, you can go to a football game or a baseball game with your kids and you can see, you know, your doctor at that game or you see your doctor at the grocery store and they tell you, I see those healthy choices in your, in your grocery cart, you know. And so um, it's important, again, it's, it's all listening, listening and doing and supporting those people who want to take the action and who, and who has the vision to be able to execute effectively. Great. Go ahead, Mike. It, um, you know, we do our best work in really two areas specific to what you asked, Mike. One is the method of outreach to individuals as an insurance carrier and the frequency of that outreach. The two of those together um, help to establish a more trusted relationship. I saw a question come across about that trusted relationship and the importance of that trusted relationship. And when the outreach is done in a way that most resonates with an individual and it has consistency associated with it, which is related to frequency of the outreach, it drives more of a trusted relationship. The more I talk to Mike McNutt, the more um, of an established relationship we have and the more likely Mike McNutt is to be influenced by um, ideas or recommendations that I have for you for healthier behavior. So that's important to us. And as I mentioned earlier, we understand even with our best outreach and best frequency of touch, we understand we can't do this work by ourselves. We need other partners in this. And that's where those um, community-based, very local community-based organizations um, come into play. Providers and the provider community comes into play and other uh, resources and organizations that are more community-based or more local and have closer proximity to those individuals that we're serving. It's a team sport um, and we leverage our teammates and stakeholders and partners to do the best work that we can to advance health equity. 
Excellent. We are having fantastic engagement in the chat. Thank you guys so much. Um, let's jump into a question real quick. Um, I have one that was sent to me. Um, if you could speak, um, and this goes to any of you guys, if you could speak to any strategies that uh, you may use on how to build trust with patients. I think we talked about hesitancy already, how to build trust with patients as they use data for various initiatives from the payer and the provider perspective, whoever wants to jump in, go ahead. I'd, I'd love to hear from my colleagues in Mayo. I'll just simply say, and I'm sure my colleagues in Mayo will agree, we understand why there is a hesitancy. Um, folks wanna know what is it you're gonna do with the data? And how is your use of the data going to benefit me? It's sort of the WIFM, what's in it for me. Um, and we understand and appreciate that as part of the ask for the data. And it's incumbent upon us to demonstrate the value of using that data in the interactions that we have with the patients. It's, um, it takes on a different stance from an insurance carrier standpoint than a provider like Mayo. So I'd love to hear my colleagues at Mayo and what they think about it. I'll get started and I'll let Marquita and AJ jump in. But I think it's what you already said, Mike, is having those open and honest conversations with the patients saying, what are we using this data for? And we've run into issues where we're collecting data for social determinants of health and a good portion of our patients aren't completing the questionnaire because they're not sure how that data is going to be used. So I think having that open, honest conversation with them to say, hey, this is going to be used to address your healthcare needs to optimize your health. Um, and it's not going to be shared with anybody else. But I think it, it starts there. But I think we just have to rebuild that that trust that has been, been broken with our community. Uh, diverse patients have a reason to mistrust healthcare systems. And until we have that open, honest conversation to say, we messed up in the past, this is how we're moving forward. I don't think things will change. So I think just having that communication, making sure that we provide quality care for all patients and demonstrate that we're committed to health equity, I think that relationship will uh, start to repair. I would agree, Dr. Mallon, with both you and, and Mike. Um, it really goes back to how transparent we are, but also that closed loop communication and transparency. So I mentioned earlier, how Mayo Clinic has a $100 million commitment to racism. There's a lot of publicity around that. But now what are we doing with that money? So as it's on us, it's on Mayo Clinic to go back and share back with the community what we're doing with that money to show that we're truly committed. And so when we're collecting that data, our boots on the ground also has to be able to speak to the things that we're doing and why we're doing it, just kind of like Dr. Milam and, and, and Mike mentioned. But if we're not all communicating the same message and on the same page and just kind of circling back with our audience to say, hey, we haven't forgotten about you. We do care. And this is what we're doing because we're doing the work that shows that we care every single day. But we aren't telling our patients all the things that we're doing. And that's what's causing the disconnect and the mistrust because they just simply don't know. And healthcare is a huge conglomeration of things to learn about. And honestly, most of us on this call had to go to school to do the work that we do to work in the system. So just Im imagine what it will take for a patient who has limitations, you know, social, you know, educational limitations to be able to navigate in the system. So transparency, and 
helping them understand what this all means in healthcare is how you build that trust. Excellent. I love it. Um, Denny mentioned the the element of trust and how important it is. Um, before I go to the next question, I want to talk about the trust between the providers and the payers. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if you guys actually, you know, United and Mayo work together, but, you know, let's talk about, you know, what is needed? What are the challenges? What are the benefits of, you know, payers and providers? This is what the sessions call it, actually, how you're approach, you know, payers and providers. I want to talk about the connection and the relationship between the providers and payers in order to achieve health equity and address health disparities. Whoever wants to jump in, feel free. So I'll, I'll kick it off. And as the insurance carrier, our role is to facilitate the best possible care, evaluate that care, quality care, affordable care, is being provided, make sure there's access to the care. But the care delivery happens at Mayo and in other providers. So in order for the whole notion of achieving health equity to be achieved, there has to be, there absolutely has to be this partnership between um, insurance as well as the provider community to make it real. There's information, data, guidance, support, that we can provide, but the delivery of the care and sometimes the direct connection with the patient and individual is best done there at the uh, provider level. I think I'll add to what Dr. Curry mentioned is about really alignment of values, right? Whether it's a member, it's a patient, it's the same individual. So how do we ensure this alignment of values in terms of, and I think the one way to look at is data sharing agreements. I would say it's still in its infancy when it comes to sharing member data with, with the provider and vice versa. So how do we look at opportunities, look at data, but also then build interventions, whether it's in the future insurance products, but also collaborative efforts between the provider and the insurance uh, uh, and the payer and the provider to see what are the opportunities to build specific interventions for specific populations? So I think there's an opportunity there. We're still in the infancy when it comes to looking at data and data sharing agreements. We have some uh, sort of collaborations. We look at uh, data from the standpoint of what does our catchment area look like? And what does the coverage look like in the terms of the payer mix? Who are the different major payers here? Who are the major, And I think there's also an opportunity to look at from a perspective of who the major employers in this region are uh, the market that we're looking at. So there's different opportunities there in terms of data sharing. I think it's, again, these sort of avenues uh, promotes that kind of conversation, but also conversations that will lead us to anywhere. I think action needs to happen too. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. I'll just add a little bit of a tidbit. Um, I would say a really huge opportunity is in the space of tech equity and that, again, that data mm -hmm. transparency. And so, you know, like kind of like AJ mentioned, shared interventions on getting our patients to better understand what their benefits are um, and how much it costs them. Because again, just like the healthcare system, the insurance system is challenging for some of our patients to navigate and some of them have these services, there are no cost to them, but they just don't, it's too complicated and cumbersome for them to even interface with it. Um, and so how can we work together more to innovate simplifying the services offered by both the healthcare service and by the insurance company that would make it really quick and easy for patients to get these services done to promote their health? 
Excellent. Thank you. I do want to ask kind of the $50,000 question um, about return on investment value. You know, that that's a, that's a big one whenever we have a health disparity, health equity conversation. Um, the idea of understanding uh, measure health equity initiatives in the traditional format that Mayo and, Uni and United are typically accustomed to is somewhat difficult. Address the challenges to define ROI and value when developing these initiatives and actually executing them. That's a great yeah, question. Go ahead. I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think the field of diversity science, we have not done a great job of exploring the return of investment for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. As you mentioned, it's difficult to quantify these efforts. So the obvious return on investment is honoring the moral and ethical obligation. Uh, Michael, you mentioned the quote from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King about of all forms of inequality, injustice in the healthcare system is the most shocking and inhumane. And so again, we have a moral and ethical obligation which is very much in line with our value system, which AJ and Marquita talked about. So the primary value for Mayo is the needs of the patient comes first. And in my mind, if healthcare disparities exist within Mayo Clinic, then we're not living up to those standards. And beyond that, we have to make sure that everybody has access to Mayo. So not only the patients that come to Mayo get quality care, but we shouldn't have barriers where patients have complex problems and can't get into Mayo. There's also the economic and... Uh, financial burden, and it's, again, we have not done a good job of quantifying that, but there was a recently uh, published study in JAMA, just, I think, published last month, that looked at racial and ethnic, as well as, well as educational disparities in the cost. And it was $421 billion for racial and ethnic health disparities and almost um, a trillion dollars for educational uh, inequities. And in my mind, you can shift some of these costs to other activities, both nationally and at the institutional level. This is easier said than done, but I think we need to explore it more. There's also the public health implications, which we need to, to, to work on. And more importantly, is the sustainability of institutions. If institutions like Mayo Clinic can't attract diverse patients, we're not gonna be sustainable as the country is becoming more diverse. And so we need to make sure that people have access and that we're offering the same quality of care for every patient, regardless of uh, patient demographics. Yeah, well, well said, Adam. I, my only layering into that, Michael, is really two things. Number one, having a rigor, an evaluation and research rigor associated with doing health equity and, um, and health disparities analysis that doesn't always exist. Um, sometimes it really becomes just an exercise associated with cost, but we know that there's more included in valuing health disparities work than just cost alone. So there's a rigor that goes into it that we need to be better at. And when I say we, I'm talking about the collective we of those of us in this health equity space. We have to have a better rigor in doing the analyses so that when the information comes forward, it has a consistency and standardization and credibility associated with it. And second, this takes time, Michael takes time. Any intervention to change behavior that adjusts health outcomes, you're talking 12, 24, 36, 48 month interventions, or not interventions, but um, time to see and observe results, sustainable results, not just kind of regression to the mean, but sustainable results. Um, and we often don't have the luxury of time 
when doing the evaluation, we're looking at things maybe by quarter, maybe semi-annually, maybe annually. Uh, and But we know some of these, many of these interventions take longer than 12 months for their true value uh, to be observed. So it's a reality associated with it, but I'm gonna put it back on us. We, those of us in this health equity space have an obligation to have more rigor and consistency in the type of health disparities analytics and ROI associated with it, defining what the ROI is and the time frame associated with it and being consistent about that when we do the evaluation. Excellent. Now, looking back at the puzzle piece that Mike had and the kind of helix with all the circles that the Mayo Group had, uh, Denny has a great question that we can close with. Um, and, and baking in health equity at everything we do, it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of people. And it requires, like Denny says, the ability to hire and retain at all levels of your organization those people who reflect that commitment. How um, how are United and Mayo building from the inside out in terms of kind of getting these teams together, getting people outside of the four people in Dr. Milam's office and outside of Mike to buy into this idea and not be um, a health equity tourist? I know I didn't get to that question, Dr. Milam, but we'll get to that some other time. But how do you get the buy-in and bake in and get United and Mayo building from the inside out in terms of creating this commitment? It starts at the top from our CEO down to those uh, all other senior level individuals, mid-level managers and the like. Um, there's an ethos. There's a culture that needs to be established for us. It's around our mission and how health equity is aligned with our mission. Um, that culture bleeds into what people think and how they do. Um, and then the, the way we're organized as a matrixed organization, we get our work done by working across lines, not in not always in particular silos, but working across lines of business, departments, and the like. So it's the eat for us. It's that culture um, that really establishes the foundation for us to do this work. Um, and then that foundation gets leveraged in this matrix environment where all of the stakeholders involved in this work come together on a regular and consistent basis um, to do the various and sundry things that we do to address disparities that we see. I can add, so just like um, our Office of Health Equity has this huge ecosystem of who we partner with, we also have um, our Office of Equity, Inclusion and Diversity that focuses on the workforce diversity part of it. Um, also has the same type of structure. Um, when Mayo Clinic made that, you know, Mayo Clinic has always been kind of a step above the rest um, when it comes to social, cultural standards in care. And so, and, and that comes with, you know, thinking back to the Mayo Brothers days where they were, you know, seeing patients and they didn't, there weren't any racial barriers to the patients that they were seeing um, in the past. And so, when Mayo Clinic made that $100 million commitment to eradicate racism, it wasn't just a financial uh, commitment. It was a social commitment that this is not allowed at Mayo Clinic and we're going to do everything that we can to, um, to reduce it as much as we possibly can. So with that comes, uh, we have department diversity leaders. We have Mayo employee resource groups, uh, which are like affinity groups for staff to join whether it be race-related, cultural-related groups. Um, we have um, staff support for people who might experience 
you know, microaggressions or things like that within the workforce. Uh, we have trans transparent recruitment reporting and requirements for some of our supervisor staff to make sure that they have a diverse mix of staff members in their interview panels. Um, but just going back to what Mike said, it starts at the top. And so our reporting mechanisms, our leadership holding the, the boots on the ground accountable to making sure we're getting a diverse pool of staff members, not only in our allied health, but in our physicians and diversity and leadership um, is, is a very huge commitment of Mayo Clinic that goes alongside our mission to reduce health disparities. Excellent. AJ, I see you. Um, and you yeah, so I think, again, it's a, you know, we can talk about culture, which is critical and inclusion. But in terms of if we have a data-driven approach, which we support for our institution as well, in terms of how do we look from a data standpoint, what quantitatively and qualitatively, right? Does our recruitment practices reflect what our commitment is? Does our culture reflect what we're talking about? So there's survey administration we do. So I guess the aspect is this is a marathon. It doesn't, it's not going to be perfect today or not tomorrow, but I think as long as we are able to ensure we're making progress in this domain, I guess evaluation is key, measurement is key, but also intention also becomes key too. Excellent. Wow. Uh, we ran out of time and I could have won another 45 with you guys, to be honest. This was fantastic. Michael Curry, United Health Group, Dr. Adam Milam, uh, Mayo Clinic, AJ Jayu Kumar, Mayo Clinic, Marquita Davis, Mayo Clinic. Thank you so much for being a part of this very interesting, intense and fulfilling conversation. And I hope to have all of you back sometime soon at another Weedy event. Thank you. Thanks for having us.